0: Welcome to the To Faithful Men podcast. This project started in 2006 to preserve old sermon and study tapes of Wiley Flanagan, Hassel Wallace, and Mike Strevel. 2 Timothy 2.2 says, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. Our Heavenly Father, we're thankful to thee for this day, for this opportunity to gather in thy name, to meet together in an assembly, the purpose of which is to praise thee. Help each one of us to remove from our thoughts all vanity, be able to concentrate our minds upon thee, upon thy word. Recognize that thou art the supreme being. Thou art immutable, that thou cannot lie. But when we find precious promises recorded in thy word, we can take them at full value, we can be comforted from them, and our hope can be the more increased and become the stronger and operate in our lives as something sure and steadfast. We thank thee for thy church and kingdom preserved in this earth. We thank thee for these that have gathered at this time in an effort to praise thee. and We beg thy blessing to be upon each one that is thus gathered. We pray for the welfare of thy church and kingdom in this earth for its prosperity for its increase and growth. We pray for our nation for the leaders as they occupy positions of responsibility they will look to thee to thy word and from it get principles that would be proper and right, that we might as a nation operate under thy hand in a way that is pleasing. We would pray, Heavenly Father, for the sick and the afflicted. We would pray, if it can be in accordance with thy will, that they may be recovered to hell, if not, that they may be reconciled to their condition and position in life, and be enabled to say, Thy will be done in earth, even as it is in heaven. Bless us now in our endeavor to go into Thy Word and from it gain instruction and information that will be strengthening to ourselves and enable us to even in a better way to praise Thy name. We beg for the forgiveness of our sins. We beg for the leadership of Thy Holy Spirit. We beg for meditation in Thy name. We rest in Thy preserving influence of thy grace, believing firmly and strongly that according to thy grace we shall see thee finally in all of the holy perfections of eternal bliss and glory, where we can praise thee forever. We beg for Jesus' sake, amen. To consider what hope is, what it means, it may be needful, but also recognize sometimes what it is not. At least to recognize that hope is more. And we have oftentimes given it credit for healing I'd like for us to concentrate upon thinking at least for a little bit as the writer here calls our attention what he considers hope to be at least some of the features of it the need might have thought. The reasons and underlying reasons for there being such a thing as hope is that God has shown something to somebody. That's the gist of the language in the opening verse that I read wherein God Willing more abundantly to show under the heirs of promise. Now this lets us know that he's not showing this to everybody in general. He's showing this to specific ones. Willing more abundantly to show under the heirs of promise. That is, his people. His children. In order to be denominated and to be called as an heir of the promises of God, it just simply automatically means that an individual has to have been born of God. To be an heir means to have been born. These are referred to as heirs of promise. Let's just know that there have been some plans made ahead of time. Something related to a promise. This was involved. We have the Apostle Paul saying in another place, in hope of eternal life which God that cannot lie, promised." before the world began. God promised something to the ones who would be his heirs before this world walked. Paul, when he came along, lived in hope of that eternal life which God had promised. And I think you can see from that additional quotation some of the meaning that is attached to these words that come ahead. God, with oath, has sworn, God that cannot lie has said, and he has said it as a promise before this world began. He has sealed it with his own oath. Not being able to swear as men swear, men swear by one greater than themselves. That's what happens every time you have a, a case in court and a person is called upon to give testimony. He's put forth with his hand up, swearing. The testimony he's going to render is going to be true. He swears it in the name of God because he recognizes God is being greater than himself. Men can swear by one greater than themselves, But God cannot swear by one greater than himself, for he is the greatest. But he nevertheless swears. And not having one greater than himself to swear by, he simply swears by his own name. God for by himself. That is to say, that if I be God, then this is going to be. Now that makes it just about as strong as anything can possibly be. If God is God, then his promises must come to pass. If his promises fail to come to pass, then we can just take the opposite and recognize that he is no God. God is in the business of showing this to those who are the heirs of his promise. He is bound to do this because he's sworn. He's bound to do this because he cannot lie. And his promise then is tied up with this kind of expression that we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. I'm confident that there are many people in this world today that have hope within them but have not properly possessed have not properly laid hold upon them. And as a result do not achieve the strong consolation that is possible by laying hold upon the hope that is set before us. The outcome is, however, if and when we lay hold upon that hope that is set before us, we have then something that operates in our lives as an anchor Both sure and steadfast. We have to recognize, too, some things that work somewhat backwards. As Hopi is an anchor of the soul, we might consider our ship, our life, as we are sailing upon the sea of time. The anchor itself being centered in Jesus, which we hope we have which hope we have as an anchor to the sure and steadfast, and which entereth entereth into that within the bay, where Christ is entered. And that's like the comparison, except it's going to wind up working backwards. The comparison of a ship on the sea. As its anchor goes down into the sea, out of sight, as it attaches itself to the ground, or at least comes to rest upon the ground, in order to in the ship to hold it, to keep it uh, still, or at least as still as is possible. This is the idea of the normal anchor. We have the anchor here pictured. As we are traveling upon this sea of life, we're virtually more or less in the picture upside down. Sometimes we feel about that way. But anyway, the anchor is attached to Jesus, who's out of sight, behind the veil, in the portal of glory, in the presence of God, but nevertheless, we lay hold upon hope as an anchor of the soul, anchored to him that is behind that veil, out of our sight. But as we recognize him, lay hold upon him, we achieve a sureness, a steadfastness, and the anchor. To what we have been looking for as it is said here that we might have a strong consolation. To be consoled means to be put at ease. Especially when we've been in the midst of trouble, in the midst of doubt and gloom and dismay. To be consoled is to be comforted. In the midst of this life that we live, With all the waves and the turmoil that we find ourselves surrounded by, it isn't any wonder that we would desire to flee for refuge till they hold upon the hope that's set before us. For the simple reason our souls are upset and they desire peace and calm. They desire consolation. And this is the kind of answer that comes as we lay hold upon him who is our hope. We may recognize too that it isn't always so successful. There are times in our experiences it seems that it's not so easy to lay hold upon that will remain somewhat upset, take tossed talk. We have our doubts and our dismay. And to that person who has never had doubt, or who has never had dismay, I could not help but have sincere wonder myself about the reality of what he is doing. Because such an experience is not like the experiences of the people of God. They had their doubts. They had their dismay. I know that doesn't sound like popular concept, but that doesn't matter. What we're concerned about is what the Word of God teaches. I've only turned to one place and I think of another uh, mm-hmm. that might be interesting to Read for just a moment. The Lord Himself, while He was here in the world, called out His apostles. And they lived with Him, journeyed with Him, saw His miracles, heard His conversation for about three years, and then He was taken and crucified. And then again He was. Raised from the dead. And he had told them before he was crucified that he would be raised from the dead. And he told them, sent word to them where they were to come to meet him. He told some, he told them to come and meet them and meet him in Galilee. And they came. I'm reading from Matthew chapter 28. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Jesus came and spake to them, saying, All power was given unto me in heaven and earth. And he goes on to say, Go ye therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and observe all things, what you're about to you, all the way, even in the world. But what I wanted to get to your attention is, these men who were apostles, who had been with Jesus day in day out for about three years of time, had seen him change the water into wine, had seen him raise Lazarus from the dead, had seen him heal the blind, the lame, the dumb, the spirits were uh, evil spirits were subject to him. Uh, the little daughter of Jairus was raised from the dead. Had seen all of these kinds of things. Well, now even I witness of Jesus Christ who has been crucified himself, buried, and now resurrected from the dead, And when they saw him, and they worshipped him, and they doubt. You and I haven't even seen what they saw. Not really. If there's any question in our minds why we might sometimes doubt, they doubt it. John the Baptist, who was born miraculously, both naturally, perfectly spiritually, born miraculously, saw Jesus, recognized him, baptized him, saw the dove come and light upon him and the Spirit of God in the form of a dove, he did upon him. Heard a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Had all of this kind of testimony, I would suppose it at least is as much as anybody on this earth has now. And my supposition would be a little bit more than any of us would possess. So all of this, when we hear his testimony later, after having seen all of this, John the Baptist was later captured and put into prison. And while he was there, he sent some of his disciples to inquire of Jesus, saying, "Art thou the Lord? Art thou the Messiah? Or shall we look for that? Are you really Him or not?" Hard to say it in our way of saying it. John was saying, "I got my doubts about this whole thing." I just don't know whether you're really the Lord or not. Even though he'd had all of the testimonies he had, he was in direct contact with him, he baptized him, he saw the Spirit of God descend upon him, and he heard the voice out of heaven saying, this is my beloved son. All this. Yeah. Was a little passage of time. He's made to one. Art thou he that should come? Or shall we look for that? Jesus, in his perfect way of teaching, didn't answer the question like you and I would. We would have answered it very simply like this. Yeah, go tell John. Yeah, I'm ready here." That's about the way we'd have answered it. But Jesus didn't choose to answer that question. He just said, go tell John again. He said, How that the dead arise? The blind see? The deaf hear? The lame walk? The dead arise? And the poor. How the gospel preached on the dead. All he reminded him of is what he already had. You go back to John and pick up what you've already had. It's enough. You can just be reminded you just lay hold of that which you have, <clears throat> I want to turn now and look at some more verses. Show you the experience of people. This is from a prophet named Jeremiah. He sometimes called the weeping prophet, for most of his life was filled with cries weeping, sad. All he saw was a glory that had been. Israel as a nation, Jerusalem as a city, going down in destruction. being captivated by their enemies. being carried away into captivity. He didn't have much singing to rejoice in. Most and gloom this I have no doubt that what this is here partly is powerful that we might have strong consolation when we get down and out. But look at the example for after all the scriptures of old were written by men that were moved by the holy Ghost. And these scriptures were written that we through patience and hope might have strong consolation it is for our comfort, for our benefit. I read some from the third chapter of the Lamentations of Jeremiah. And I say, this is Jeremiah speaking, and I said, my strength and my hope is perished from the Lord. And does that maybe sound like us? When we sometimes get down and out, we sometimes become virtually overcome with doubt. Remember this isn't all that terrible when we have some understanding, when we have some knowledge, when we can be reminded again and again that God is showing things in his heirs of promise. He's reminding us again and again. He doesn't lie. He's reminding us again and again that His promises are sure. His promises are real. they do not faith. Here am I. says, the strength, the hope perish from the Lord. But remember, my affliction and my misery, the wormwood and the gall, My soul hath been still in remembrance, it is humbled in me. This I recall to my mind. Therefore have I hope? There is then the picture here of a hope that perishes and then is revived. And look what it took for it to be revived. It didn't take anything new at all. Not that there weren't some new things coming, but it didn't take anything new. All it took was just look back and see where I've been. See the conditions through which I have come. Look at this again. I, Jeremiah said, my hope is perished from the Lord. But remember, I'm not afflictions, my misery, the wormwood the dog. Remembering my low-down condition, remembering the path I've taught, remembering where I've been, I look back. <coughs> it doesn't matter how low it is at all. I've been, yeah. Regardless of how sad the circumstances have surrounded me by, God He's never turned me to. Therefore I have hope. And that is just quick as I remember that. Even though I may at the moment say it's all gone from. me. All I gotta do is just look. Back. And I can see the man that is here and there of the mercies of God. God may sure to me in he's He's been showing them to me, and that's an evidence. And I'm an heir of he He's shown me. Never me. Time and he's shown again. Even when I was down and night, he was with me. And even when I didn't realize it, even though I didn't understand it at the time, I could look back and see he was with me. He helped me, even when I didn't realize it. He was helping. Jeremiah thus was able to say I look back and I see where I've been. I can see what my strength has been in the midst of my weakness. And right in that very weakness I had a strength that I didn't know of. Isn't it wonderful that when we turn to the New Testament we hear the name of the Apostle Paul as he says when I am weak then Am I strong? When I can see myself as nothing, it is then that I can see the Lord as my own and all. You may rest well assured that as long as we are looking to ourselves and see ourselves as great and mighty, we have not got time to look for the Lord. And don't say we don't get in this position because we do. There isn't a one of us for what sometimes gets the notion, I can do it. I can handle the situation. When we face the realities of life, the issues of life and of death, some times home within ourselves. And remember that we all have history, one with God, and as we remember, we become humble in ourselves to recognize hope comes out of the promises of God that have been revealed to us. And we have some little degree of understanding of that. Not all differently. Just But as soon as this happens, as Jeremiah recalls the mind with bitterness, agony, the misery through which he has gone, he says, Then I have both. And then he verse forth into the bright sunlight of God's revelation, and it is shown to him, it is of the Lord's mercy that we are not concerned, because his compassion fail not. They are new every morning, great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul, therefore, well, I hope he knew. When we can recognize the Lord as my fault the Lord is my fault. when we can lay hold upon him, it isn't any wonder then that he becomes the foundation of our hope. That was another little passage of scripture. We're verified the origin and the strength and the power that is involved in hope. Reading now from the ninth chapter of Zechariah, the mother of the old prophet. As for thee also by the blood of thy covenant, I have set forth thy presence out of the pit wherein is no water. This goes to show something about the the immutability of the Council of God. Something that's tied up with his covenant, his promise, his testimony, what he said that he would do. The heirs of promise, he said, he was shown them. Here is a picture of what he is showing them. These heirs of promise had by nature been involved in the sin. Were by nature the children of wrath even his suffering. What we read in the second chapter of Ephesians, of God who is rich love, for his great love for rich love, even in revenge and I put them up together with him I praise you are this is the reason we have good hope through grace It's because grace has come to us he brought it to us with it by the power of the blood that he shed upon Calvary the blood of the everlasting covenant he sent forth the prisoners out of the pit. And then he says here in the book of Zechariah, just immediately after their having been sent forth out of the pitch of water, says turn ye to the stronghold, ye prisoners of hope. Note that they had been prisoners of the pit." But now, because God, by the covenant of his blood, sent them forth out of that prison pit, freed them from that, he says unto them, James, turn to you to the stronghold, the of hope. These people are thus tied up with hope, they have a prison of hope, which means you can't really get loose from it may close your eyes and not look at it, you may refuse to take hold of it, but you're still a prisoner of hope. And it's a good thing to be. No wonder the Apostle Paul would rejoice when he would say that I'm a prisoner of the Lord. I don't belong to myself, he says, but I belong, I do not is a wonderful thought that we're not our own? is a beautiful little expression there in the Corinthian letter where it tells us, but ye are not your own. Ye are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your bodies and in your spirits." Put your head. I don't belong to myself. If you don't belong to yourself, you belong to God. The faithful will be in God. Who has made us here? Who owns? We are a peculiar people, a particular possession, home of the Lord. So travel as we travel here; they hold upon Jesus as the anchor of our souls. Or to they hold upon him as our hope? Or to say it in other words, to get the connection between hope and Jesus, and have it recorded in Colossians chapter one. I can quote the part that I want, but I'd like to just be reminded myself of what it says just above, and maybe just below. Well, so I'll take the time to turn. I know that it says something about the mystery that was hidden through the ages. Which is Christ formed in you. Maybe the word formed in that. Which is Christ in you, the hope of hope. But I'll just turn read. Even the mystery, which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints. Notice this. The Bible just very plainly and explicitly. tells everything just like it needs to be told. It doesn't say that this mystery is being made known to just anybody and everybody. This mystery is being made now manifest to the son, That is, to those that are heirs of the promise. Or, if you say it another way, if you want to just hear it in plain old everyday language, you can't be mistaken. God, from all eternity, chose a people in his Son. He elected them to eternal bliss and glory. They are the heirs of his promise. They are those who are denominated and called saints. This is just plain old cardinal doctrinal preaching right now. That's what this is saying. Now made manifest to the saints. To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. is wonderful? That hope of glory is already in you. And when you lay hold upon it you don't have to go across the world. You don't have to have somebody else to come and tell you. You simply lay hold upon that which God has given. Lay hold upon that promise which put you within you. And that promise goes like this. It's in you. There's a something within you that says, Though I die, I shall yet live. Though I go down, I shall yet be raised up again. There's hope within. There's a hope that this body is coming out of the grave. There's a hope that we shall see it. For ourselves, that's what this is talking about. And you got that? Because God put it in you, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And the message of the gospel then comes along to tell you what you've got. Maybe shed a little light upon Maybe make manifest what's already there. We might just flip to another little passage and read it to see just how, <clears throat> how it goes. Be not thou, therefore, ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his business. But Be thou the taker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, that saved us, and called us in the holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to life through the gospel. The gospel never did bring life to the individual, but the gospel has the power to take the life that's already put in the individual and bring it to life, to where it can be seen. If My message this morning has any power about it at all. It is only to stir up what's already in. It is only as a flashlight to shine upon something that God has already put within you to stir you up to where you can see what God has already wrought within you. I can't put life in you. That's not my power. That's not the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel is, as it were, to turn on the light, to let one see what God has already wrought within you. The pitiful part of it is <clears throat> there will be many in this world today they would like to appropriate to themselves the, the power that is turning on the light as if that's what puts something in the room. Um, the furniture has to be there. If the light revealed any furniture being in the room. That's the simplicity of the teaching of this kind of lesson. The gospel is the light. The word of God is a light is called that. It's called the lamp under our feet. But a life is our fact, but it does not produce light. It just simply points out the way in which we track and turn as we live here. It encourages and they hold what what's already happy. Christ in you, the Holy Glory. And that's that which hope we have as an answer of the soul of sure it said. That. And it's when you said go. On. Then we may have peace. Yeah. So, you remember, Jesus, at one time, was the disciple of a woman. He was making a turn across the sea of Galilee. And Jesus went to sleep. And a tempest came up. A stone. And the disciples. That all feeling easy. And they finally reach the blessed. And as it did, we cried out, Master, heareth thou the mouth? What do We've got a big storm for them. We're not wind up the ground. of Don't you care? lay hope upon me. First, he me. He, quote, begins, you. he hoped in him not afraid He would speak, he would just say that I'm going he cause peace. He's safe, And he, and he did you know that in the midst of all the sorrow that you have regardless of how deep they are, regardless of how shattering they may be, you'll be able to touch <laughs> him. That's how. It's the laying hold upon you. And it is verified in your sense the promise of the God God is faithful and his mercies are you everywhere. If we would just take the time to see if we would just to take the time to lay hold upon those precious things that he has promised only to thunder for please by reading a little bit out of the song. This is song number 484. When the storm is the and from
1: Galilee
0: lifted its waters on the mountain and the faithless disciples were found in the fall Jesus Christ Fear not. You In the midst of the storm, in the midst of the wind, Jesus continued to be. Fear not, you will The storm could not bend that word in the wave. It was caught through the tempest of life. It shall reach his disciples in every age. Saying he not afraid, he desires. When the spirit is broken with sorrow and care, and comfort is ready to die, and then darkness shall pass and the sun shall appear, for so the life give be one, he desires. When death is at hand in this cottage of clay, is left with a tremulous sigh, and the gracious redeemed, who will light all the way to save Be He not afraid, he desires in final conclusion, there's something that is very rewarding to the soul of the child of God of the infinite of That in the midst of the storms of your life, as you have contact through that angle, there's Jesus behind the veil. You can't see but in the midst of all of the Crying waves, wave the of ship the call to save a boss. Something about it you can see in this temple there is a steady influence of that angel. And as the old ship rolls apart, the, the an in and influence of that angel really winds up doing what? you can feel the soul as the wave he and got you more, he feel the service of all these women and we have come back him. pull it out just one more than the I realize crying is wonderful. We so also crying are always anxious, like we won't. Because we sometimes of things. And we pray sometimes for that which is not God's will. But we have not only prayer as a means of access under God, but the whole of is that which he and Him. And sometimes in the troublesome times of life, it is still the kingdom, the soul of the soul, that that answer is surely the God. Have I talked about something that kind of like a little crazy hope that just sort of wishes around and doesn't know anything about it? No. I talked about something that's real. it not got a good It's Hope is good. And hope is not weak. Hope is strong. Hope is what put about and let me just say it again, to be sure I'm fairly understood. In relationship to the future, hope is the only word you've got. Mark that In, in relationship to the future, hope is the only word you've got. I hope to see. You. I hope to live with you. I hope is the strongest word you've got. The that all, I don't care how much people brag and how much they say about how much they know. I'm going to tell them to themselves if they want to hear me say it. Hope is a stronger word that says that. Hope is a good word. We hope for that which we do not yet see. And if we did already have it, then we could speak of knowledge. We know of those things which are. We only hope of those things which are not. I'm not ashamed of the doctrine of hope. I'd like to just join in with the language of David. He said, "I will just join myself and pray the same prayer he prayed." He said in one of those songs, "O oh Lord, let me not be ashamed of the hope that is within me." But that is nothing other than Jesus as the hope of grace. Does God take these things in May they you And that's the song to be sung. There's one here that loves these principles and loves the principles of this church. And would like to have a home with you. In fact, in some apartment, stand and sing a couple of verses in some meetings. You have a collection. Well, what if you have one tonight? I didn't particularly have one. It's it's five ninety-seven. Five ninety-seven. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and share with a friend. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord.